First Samuel chapter number three. First Samuel chapter number three. And uh, I just want to second what Jim said about how encouraged I am to hear about folks going up being helped to that family. And uh, I, I hate the idea of moving even under the best of circumstances. <laughs> Amen. But uh, facing all the challenges that they're facing, I know they certainly need your prayers. And I appreciate our men and their faithfulness and compassion. First Samuel chapter number three. I'd like to begin reading in verse number one. First Samuel chapter three. Verse number one, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that this is uh, the beginning of the ministry of Samuel, the first prophet, uh, nationally speaking, in the land of Israel. Moses was a prophet before him, but when we think of a prophet in the sort of traditional sense of the office and vocation of it, Samuel was the very first one, and uh, he was the last judge and the first prophet. In many ways, he's a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the judge, amen, and uh, and is the Lord's prophet as well as being the Son of God. But let's begin reading verse number one. The Bible says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And uh, he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay, lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in this place, Lord. It's a privilege. It's a blessing to get to come into the house of God on a midweek prayer meeting night and get to gain encouragement and bear one another's burdens and just be reminded of the closeness of the fellowship of the Spirit of God. And I pray that tonight as the Word of God is preached unto us, to my heart, to their heart, that the Holy Spirit would have free liberty and reign to walk amongst us, to minister this truth to our hearts, to apply it in the most specific ways that we desperately need, that you might receive glory and that we might have a proper apprehension of your will for our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. The ministry of Samuel begins with this story concerning him hearing the voice of God. 
Now, when we talk about hearing the voice of God, what we mean, certainly in this dispensation and day, is we mean God speaking and impressing upon our hearts His truth from His Word. And uh, while I don't necessarily anticipate that you're going to hear the voice the way that Samuel heard the voice or that I'm going to hear the voice the way that Samuel heard the voice, I do think that there is a parallel in what Samuel experienced and how you and I hear the voice of God in our day. Let me just say it this way. I need to hear God's voice. Man, I need to know His will for my life. I need to know what He desires for me. I need to know what He expects of me. I need to know what He thinks concerning the way that I'm living. One of the uh, great tragedies of modern Christianity is that most Christians care very little what God thinks about their life. Uh, it's just of very little importance to most people. They care what their church thinks. They care what their friends think. They care what their family thinks. But precious few people really care what God's opinion is of the way that they're living their lives. I'll tell you this. Listen, uh, the way you live might hair lip everybody, but if it pleases God, that ought to be enough. And the only way we're going to know that is if we can hear the voice of God. And Samuel's name, of course, means heard of God. Really, this uh, sort of legacy of hearing the voice of God begins even before Samuel. It begins with his mother, Hannah, who prayed and sought God's help in her barrenness. And God heard her prayer. And because of that, she named uh, him Samuel, heard of God. And let me just remind you of this. And this is just uh, sort of a throw statement as we make our journey towards our message tonight. The best way for our children to hear the voice of God is for them to watch us as parents listen to the voice of God. Uh, we can command them and tell them and cajole them and berate them and beat them all day long. Uh, but if we really want them to learn how to value the voice of God, they've got to see us live our lives with reverence, respect and desire towards the voice of God. And so Samuel had been taught, even by his very name, that he ought to be listening for the voice of God, that he ought to be hearing the voice of God. And this opening story of his life, which, by the way, most people believe, and and I'm glad they agree with me about this, that Samuel wrote the book of First Samuel. Amen. Um, and as such, it's interesting that even he gives emphasis. To, he says, this is how that the work of God began in my life, not with a miracle in the traditional sense of the word, but rather with the voice of God. The great things that God does in our life comes through us listening to the voice of God. Uh, I'm not saying God doesn't perform miracles. I've seen him do it on a consistent basis. But I'll tell you this, you can live without miracles, but you can't live without his voice. You've got to be hearing the voice of God. And Samuel gives us a little bit of an understanding of what this experience is in the life of the believer. And I want you to notice a few simple thoughts, and then we'll be done tonight. Notice with me, first off, the context of God speaking in this passage. It's interesting the way that this chapter begins. It says, The child ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now, that may just seem like a simple boilerplate statement to just set us in a place in time. But, oh, what a place in time it is. It is a significant moment in Israel's history. And let us just say it this way. It's a time when no one would have expected for Samuel to hear the voice of God. Think with me about this. Number one, it was a time of spiritual darkness when the voice of God was scorned. 
See, if you go just to the chapter prior to this, you're going to read about the wicked exploits of Eli, the high priest, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, later on, and we read it in our text, God condemns their behavior and uh, the Bible pulls no punches in describing how depraved their sin and their conduct was in that day. In other words, it was a time when even the spiritual leaders did not follow the truth of the word of God as it had been revealed. You know, we're certainly living in a time of spiritual darkness. And, and I, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we have a tendency to, to be a little melodramatic, but I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say this, that we are living at a time when darkness, spiritually speaking, is spreading across the face of this earth. A time when even those who should hear the voice, even if they know it, very often they don't care to regard it and to obey it. But you know, even during this time, God still could speak to folks. Sometimes we like to say, well, you know, preacher, it's just so wicked out there. What can God do? God can speak to you. That's what God can do. He can deal with you in your life, your family, your kids, your your home, your church. I've had people ask me before, you know, preacher, do you believe that revival is possible in these days? And I believe it is. I do. I'm not I'm not a fatalist. I've not given up. I believe that the promises of God are still true. But I recognize this, irrespective of whether it is possible on a national level or a global level, and we could sit and argue and I could throw a verse at you and you could throw a verse at me, I think we should all be able to agree that on a personal level, revival is abundantly possible. Uh, In other words, it can happen in my life. It can happen in this church. Hey, why would we have revival meetings if we weren't looking for God to move and to work? This isn't just an activity, something to put on a calendar to, 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 uh, you know, finish it out a little bit. We're having these meetings because we're desiring for God to do something in our midst. We wouldn't be doing this if, if we didn't believe that even in a time of spiritual darkness, when the voice of God is scorned, when society hates the truth of God, when even those who you would anticipate being the, the upholders of it are oftentimes doing the most damage to its testimony, even during those times, God can still speak. So it was a time of spiritual darkness when the voice of God was scorned. But then I would say, number two, it's a time of spiritual deafness when the voice of God is spurned. And you say, preacher, what do you mean? What do you remember what God says later on when he's talking about his judgment upon the house of Eli? He says in verse number 13, he says, I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity. Notice this next phrase, which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. So it's not just a time when men know the word of God and and flout it, but it's also a time when even those who proclaim fidelity to it, who say they love the word of God, Eli was not a a reprobate man. By all accounts, I, I think, you know, the very fact that he had been the priest of the Lord for 90 years suggests that there was a personal level of holiness in his life that God had honored. But here, when it comes to his kids, they're behaving vilely. That's the word that the Holy Ghost used. They they made themselves vile. And God speaks to Eli. He gives him proper warning. He says, Eli, you must do something about your children. But nevertheless, Eli simply turns a deaf ear to what God says. You know, I don't know which is sadder. Those that are those that are thumbing their nose at God's word or those that are plugging their ears at it. Both of these things are a problem in the church today. There are some who want to live in all manner of iniquity and expect everybody to endorse it. But the bigger problem is those that endorse it through their own silence, 
who are unwilling to recognize sin and call it for what it is. And even in their own life, when God puts His finger... Hey, don't you understand? God shines light in your life. You can't walk in darkness anymore. More is expected of you now. You are required to respond to it. Eli was required to respond, but he turned a deaf ear. There's a reason when God speaks in the book of Revelation, He says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now listen, we all got ears to hear. Some of us may hear better than others. I find I'm not even old yet, and I can't hear the way that I used to, uh, probably from all this screaming and hollering and everything, and uh, probably a lot of loud music when I was a teenager too. But for whatever the reason... I find I can't hear the way I used to. But when God says he that hath ears to hear, he's not saying those that have the capability of hearing. He's saying those that have the willingness to hear. Because the great barrier, if we're to be real honest, it ain't that we're too dumb to understand. It ain't that we're too ignorant to hear him. It's that very often we just simply don't like what he says. So we turn a deaf ear to it. It was a time of spiritual darkness when the voice of God is scorned. It was a time of spiritual deafness when the voice of God is spurned. But still God was speaking. But then notice this phrase in verse number one. The Bible says the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Let's say it this way. It was a time of spiritual deadness when the voice of God was scarce. There weren't a lot of folks listening. There wasn't a lot that God could do in the nation at that time. Uh, the Bible over and over again gives us examples of how that our omnipotent God can be limited by our unbelief and disobedience. We find it in the Old Testament whenever the psalmist speaking of Israel's rebellion says they limited the Holy One of Israel. We find it in the New Testament when there was a place that Christ went to and though He desired to work there, He could do there no mighty work save that He healed a few sick folk. And listen, if you think for one minute that, that God is doing everything that He in His hearts would desire to do in your life, you're probably being naive. God wants to do much more in your life. But it's all predicated on our willingness to let him. God wanted to work in this day, but there was no one to listen. There was no one to hear. But I'm glad, listen, our, um, uh, he is omnipotent, but I'm glad he's omniscient too. And he knew there was a little bitty boy there in the temple that night. Even the high priests weren't going to listen. The other priests weren't going to listen. The, the elders in Israel weren't going to listen. But he knew there was one that would. And as long as there's one that'll listen, he'll take the time to speak. Man, I'm glad God's still speaking, aren't you? Uh, we can make all the excuses, put it off, say, say that he's not, but that's not the truth of the matter. Fact is, if we'll listen, he'll speak, he'll work in our heart and in our life. So I see the context of God speaking. But then think with me for a moment about the cause of God speaking. Why does God speak? Some folks speak because they like to hear themselves talk. Some folks speak because they don't like deadness in the air or in the conversation. Some folks talk because they're simply bored. But when God speaks, he always speaks with purpose. And in our text here tonight, we learn why God spoke to Samuel. Notice the opening verses. The Bible says this, And it came to pass at that time, verse 2, when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see, and air, meaning before the lamp of God, went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Then the Lord began to speak unto Samuel. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, I'm saying this. God looks down and he sees that no one's keeping watch. And the, the lamp that was supposed to never go out there in the Holy of Holies, uh, it was beginning to dwindle. And God says, I cannot let that witness go out. 
I must speak so that someone is awake, so that someone is there to tend to that responsibility. Let me say it this way. You say, preacher, why is God speaking in these days? I'd say, number one, for the witness that was dwindling. God's not going to let that lamp go out. We find this as a pattern throughout human history. I can't remember one of the commentators made note of the fact that by the time you come to the opening verses of the New Testament, the great messianic line and lineage had dwindled to such a degree that the only remnants of it were Mary and Joseph, just a poor, uh, obscure carpenter and this young woman. That was all that was left. There was no other recognized heir or lineage. But you know who knew about those two people? God knew about them. And it was in that setting, in that moment, that the very Messiah of the world was born and was incarnate. There are times throughout the history of this lineage that in many ways it begins all the way back in the book of Genesis when uh, God begins with Seth. People begin to call upon the name of the Lord and there begins a witness that carries through all the way throughout the New Testament, even into the church age to the day that we're living in today. Uh, God always makes sure there's somebody that knows who he is, that carries his light, that carries his fire, that carries his witness. And part of the reason God is still speaking is he's looking for folks that will be a witness for it. Looking for folks that'll, that'll burn brightly. That'll be a testimony in this world. And you say, well, preacher, this world is so dark. Yeah, it's a good reason to strike a light, isn't it? It's a good reason for God to be turning the lamp up is because of how dark it is in these days. So don't think for one moment, well, preacher, all the great preachers are gone. All the great missionaries are gone. All the great revivals are gone. Things are the darkest. Things are the most dismal. Things are the most hopeless. Don't you realize that was always the case before those great moments in history? It was in those darkest of times, times when the lamp was about to go out, that God stepped out of eternity and into this tent and began to speak to this little boy who would go on to be one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Why? Because God needs a witness. I would say for the witness that was dwindling. But then notice what the Bible denotes for us in verses 2 and 3. It says it was a time when Eli was laid down in his place. And verse 3 says it was a time when Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now, remember, part of the responsibility of these uh, people in the temple is not only to attend to the various jobs, but it was also a scene and setting of worship. And I like to sort of think of it this way. You may snicker at this, but I think there's truth to what I'm about to say. It's almost like God was sitting around and got lonely. He said, you know, I sure wish somebody was awake that I could talk to. He comes along and wakes up Samuel. He desires fellowship with one that will listen to and heed his voice. You know, part of the reason that God speaks, even in these wicked days we're in, is because God desires fellowship with his people. He wants to hear from you. He desires to 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 speak to you. One of the great uh, indictments that God makes against Israel in the book of Malachi regarding their formalism and their dead worship is he said, who amongst you would kindle a fire at my altar for naught? In other words, for no reason. Uh, He says, you come to me when you're broken, you come to me when you're dying, you come to me when you're impoverished, and I'm happy to answer those requests, and I'm happy to meet those needs. But he says, wouldn't it be nice if you just showed up every now and then just because you missed me and wanted to talk to me? God's speaking because he loves us and desires to hear from us, and we would have to be willfully naive to disregard the fact that there is a pattern in God's dealings with humanity that emphasizes to us that God desires fellowship with man. All throughout the Bible, what do we see? We don't find man reaching for God. We find God reaching for man. I believe he woke him up because he wanted to talk to him. 
and wanted to spend time with him. So for the worship that was desired. But then I would say this. Why did he speak, preacher? Well, I think he spoke for the word that was delivered. I'm not going to take the time to read it. We've read it a couple times or portions of it. But there in verses 11 through 14, God has a very specific message of judgment to be given to Samuel. And Samuel will go on. God tasks him with, with carrying this message. As soon as the morning comes and, and Eli wakes up, Eli begins to inquire about this message. In fact, I, I sort of chuckled when I was reading on it because he, he said to him, he said, The Lord do so unto thee and more also if thou tellest me not everything which the Lord hath spoken unto thee. That's a good, that's a parent way of threatening your kid, right? Uh, you, you better tell me something bad's going to happen to you. And uh, that was no problem for Samuel. He, he feared to tell it to him because it was bad news for Eli. But God had tasked him with carrying this message. You know why God's speaking? Because he's still got things left to say in this world. Now, I want to be very clear with what I mean. God's not writing any more books and he's not giving any more Bibles. But he certainly has a, a witness and a message recorded in this book for this world that we live in. And as such, God's still speaking to his people because he's got truth to deliver, a message to deliver to us from his word and to a broken world that disregards him. So I see the cause of God speaking. But then I want us to notice the commitment to God speaking that Samuel displayed. Now, I think this is easy to, to overpass. I, I, I think it's easy to disregard this. But I noticed that it was not the easiest thing for Samuel to hear the voice of God. I want to be very clear with what I'm about to say. God wants us to listen to him. God wants us to hear him. God desires to speak to us. And you've heard me say this before, that when God speaks, he doesn't stumble, stutter, whisper. He speaks plainly unto his people. And I believe that tonight. God speaks to his people plainly. But I also understand this to be true, that though God's voice is clear, though God's word is clear, though the spirit of God is clear, our flesh oftentimes will muddle what God is trying to say to us. Stands as a barrier. And you say, preacher, how can you believe that? Well, because I see too many people that God is trying to deal with that will not hear what he has to say. This was not necessarily the most cut and dry, simplest process for Samuel. In fact, if it was, it'd probably be one or two verses. But we have the, the, the volume of verses we have because there was a process taking place. And one of the things I love about Samuel is how various things tried to keep him from hearing the voice of God. And he did not let these things stop him. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, notice the first one's mentioned in verse number one. And you might have just passed over it and not thought about it and noticed it. The Bible says the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. How many of you have heard this said before? You can't fool dogs or kids. You ever heard that? You think Samuel didn't know what was going on? You think he wasn't aware of how Hophni and Phinehas were behaving? You think he wasn't aware that Eli was aware I mean, all of the nation knew what Hophni and Phinehas were doing. And undoubtedly, Samuel knew as well. And undoubtedly, he knew that Eli knew. It would have been very easy. I'll tell you how I would have probably been. I'm just being, confession is good for the soul. I'm just being honest with you. I would have probably grown a little bit calloused. I would have probably got a little cynical. I would have probably said, why should I be worrying about the voice of God? Eli ain't listening to the voice of God. Why should I care about living right? These people ain't living right. These people are the authorities in my life. They're the ones that are supposed to be leading me and teaching me and guiding me. I've been entrusted to their care. And look at the way they're living. Why should I listen to the voice of God if they're not going to listen to it? I love about Samuel. Listen to it this way. He didn't let the failures of others stop him 
from listening to God's voice. We find that Eli plays an active part in him understanding and hearing the voice of God. And man, it would have been very easy to be tripped up by the mistakes and failures in the life of Eli and to say, I'm not going to listen to what he has to say. I'm not going to worry about what he has to say. He's a mess. He's a failure. And I'm not going to hear anything, any counsel, any advice that he gives me. But Samuel, he understood this point. What he needed didn't really come from Eli. It came from God. Uh, let me just help you with something. I, and I don't think I really have to say this, but I'm going to anyway. You've heard me say if, if you walk by a rock, you better kick it while you're there. You don't know when you'll pass back this way again. But the greatest way that you can get help in the house of God is to recognize that what you need don't come from me. It comes from this. There's going to be times I fail you. There's going to be times I frustrate you. There's going to be times I disappoint and annoy you. And sometimes all in one day. But if you're going to get any help from God, you're going to have to learn what Samuel learned, that you can't let the failures of others, the feebleness of others, the mistakes of others, the the flaws of others be the thing that prevents you from hearing the voice of God. Because it is not the voice of that person that you need to hear. It's God that you need to hear from. He heard the voice of God because he said, you know, all that matters to me is that I hear the Lord. And what Eli's doing is of no import to me. What Hophni and Phinehas are doing is of no import to me. All that matters to me is that I get my orders from God. That's the only thing that matters. I love how he didn't let the failures of others stop it. And then verse 7 is amazing. Verse 7 says this, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. This is amazing. And I want to be very clear in what I'm about to say. Uh, God, in his dealings with the lost, here's what God speaks to the lost about, their lost condition. Uh, Samuel's situation is certainly unique. And Samuel, what it means when it says that he did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him, what it seems to signify to me is that as a young child, he had not yet... Uh, encountered or experienced a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord, and God had not called him into the office of a prophet and disclosed the word of God unto him by revelation yet. And certainly there are vast differences between Samuel's situation today and the situation we are in in this dispensation of grace. But I do think there is a similarity here as well. I do think there is a truth that we ought to pick up on. I'm not saying that God's going to speak to the lost. I'm not saying that that being saved is immaterial or is secondary to a relationship with God. Certainly a person's got to be saved to, to have a relationship with God. But I am saying that Samuel at a young age could have very simply said, you know, I'm too young, I'm too ignorant, I'm too unlearned. I shouldn't have to listen to the voice of God. That's above my pay grade. I'm unable, I'm ill-equipped, I'm incapable of listening to God's voice. Let me say it this way. He didn't let the failure of others stop him, but he also didn't let the feebleness of self stop him. He could have said, oh, I could never hear God's voice. And he probably never would have. Listen, let me be be, uh, very deliberate in how I say this. Uh, God has the ability to speak to us even when we're not listening for him. And and our relationship with church and what we derive out of it is not merely a practice in positive thinking. But if you come into the house of God with the anticipation that God's not going to speak to you, even if he's speaking to others, he probably ain't going to speak to you. There are a handful of times when God has just put his crosshairs on you and rung your bell and you weren't expecting it. But if you think back, most of the times that God's voice has spoken to you through the preached word of God, it has been times when you desired to hear God's voice. 
I remember as a 15-year-old boy very explicitly making my mind up, literally at 15. I don't know why. I guess just the grace and mercy of God. He was working in my life. But but I remember making up my mind that when I went to church, I was going to try to hear at least one thing that God had to say to me. I found out God had a lot more than one thing to say to me. When I go to church, I'd start God was speaking to my heart and to my life. I, I, I love my pastor. He was precious, and, and, and there's never been one like him. And that's probably good. The world couldn't have survived two or three. But at his age, he was, he was nearing 80, and he was at that age in life where everything that happened reminded him of a story that he didn't think you had heard before. And oftentimes, whenever he preached, I, you, you got to take the scenic tour with him. And, and as a 15-year-old boy, I could have easily said, well, now I need some young, hip guy that knows how to skateboard to speak to me. But you know, funny thing about it, I didn't after all. All I needed is to have a heart set on God. And even that aged pastor that sometimes chased a few rabbits he never caught, that sometimes uh, was not the clearest maybe in what he was trying to say, uh, yet still God would speak to my heart through his preaching. You know why that is? I could have easily said, well, you know, I'm not able to hear. I'm not able to listen to God. I got all these problems. I got all these flaws. I got, I'm young. I'm this. I'm that. But if we'll just quit making excuses and recognize that this thing of hearing the voice of God is not about capability or capacity, but rather it's about obedience and willingness. We'll start hearing from God. So I, I think the feebleness of self. But then I would notice this. The false starts did not stop. Uh, again, I want to be very clear. I want to try to be careful. Three times God speaks and Samuel misunderstands what's taking place. Three times he answers the wrong way. Three times he goes to the wrong place. Most of us would have quit. Said, well, I guess if God wants me, he'll find me. But he didn't. He just kept answering, kept answering. Now, it's not a matter, again, of being attuned to God or having some kind of spiritual third eye or superpower. Sometimes God's developing us through the process, just as he did with Samuel. God was teaching him things through it. Now, here's what Samuel wanted. He wanted what we all want. He wanted an answer. He wanted to understand. That's what I want. It's what you want. We want to know what God has to say. Sometimes what God's trying to do is even more important than what God's trying to say. And through that process of he didn't understand him the way he wished he did. He's trying to figure out what was going on. He felt confused. He felt bewildered. But through that all, he did not give up. He just kept in patience responding to the call that was given. Listen, don't give up when God's dealing with your heart and life. There's a reason for it. You may not understand everything right away. I know that and you know that. Don't give up. Even in the process, there is a purpose. I see the commitment to God speaking. Finally, and I'll be done tonight, think with me for a moment about the comprehension of God speaking. He finally heard and understood the voice of God. Why did that happen? Well, verse number 9 tells us. So this third time, Samuel comes in verse number 8 and speaks to, to Eli. He said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord. For thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Notice how the Bible emphasizes that the Lord did what he had done as at other times. It wasn't that the Lord was, was 
incorrect or, or unclear in his speaking, it's that Samuel had to give the right answer. He had to respond the right way to understand it. And notice the three things that were required for that. Notice number one, a humble heart was needed. The Bible says Eli said unto Samuel. I don't want to belabor this because I already, I already mentioned it. I already denoted it. But just suffice it to say that most of us would have said, uh, excuse me, Eli, I don't want any advice from you about how to listen to God. Uh, we would have said, you got enough problems in your own life, Eli, without you trying to tell me. But you see, when a man desires to hear the voice of God enough, he's going to listen to whatever biblical counsel is given him, irrespective of what the source or setting of it might be. He had to humble himself and be willing to recognize that something within his response was incorrect. And Eli, regardless of whatever problems he may have had, if he could give him the right answer, he had to be willing to hear it. All of this bespeaks to us having a humble heart. A great many of us don't hear the voice of God because we respond like a teenager does. I know God. I know. I know. Isn't it amazing how much you knew when you were 17? I know. I know. I know. I don't think the whole year from when I, from between 16 and I turned, the whole year that I was 17, I'm not sure there was anything I didn't know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And you know what God will say. God will say what your parents probably said. All right, sounds like you're okay. Sounds like you know everything. Takes a humble heart to hear his voice. But then notice this. I like how it says at verse 9. Here's what he tells him. Go lie down and it shall be if he call thee. Thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down. Notice these three words, in his place. He had to be in his place if he wanted to hear the voice of God. Uh, You say, Preacher, I don't know. Well, notice what verse 10 says. The Lord came and stood. So there was a place God was speaking at. And if Samuel wanted to hear his voice, he had to be in the right place. He wasn't just going to show up wherever Samuel was. He came to this same place. Three times prior, Eli says, you better go back and get in your place or you'll miss him when he speaks. I don't want to. It's a Wednesday night. I already feel good. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to end the service this way. But uh, that's all right. We'll just all pretend I'm talking about all them other people. That'll that'll make us all feel better. It's amazing how little church people get that ain't in church. It's amazing, you know. I've had people throughout the years that have criticized and said, well, you know, there ain't nothing going on down at that church. God ain't working. They'll hear about revivals, you know, in other places, and they'll see it on the YouTube and see it on the Facebook. Say, oh, man, you won't believe what God's doing down at this place and that place. And I'll have people say, preacher, I just wish God do that at our place. And oftentimes the people that say that, they don't even show up. God could be doing it at this place. They wouldn't know it. Uh, listen, we could be having a, a county fair every week. They wouldn't know. We could have Ferris wheel out in the parking lot. They wouldn't know nothing about it. It's amazing how little help you get at church when you ain't at church and how little your opinion of church will be when you're not there. you got to be in your place. you got to be where God's speaking. Oh, preacher, God can speak to me at the golf course. Ah, probably not. I mean, he can hold the sun back in its course. He can do anything. But Willie, he said, ah, preacher, you don't understand. No, I'm saying this. If Samuel wanted to hear the voice of God, he had to be in the place that God was speaking. And that place for Samuel, you know where it was? In his place, where he belonged. I see that there had to be the proper place. But then notice this. 
there had to be the right response. The Bible says the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. This materially is the only thing that really changes between the prior three times and this. It's the only thing. All the other times, God shows up, calls out Samuel. Samuel answers all three times. But on this fourth, here's what happens. He responds in a different way. And think about, lay beside each other these two responses. The first one is, here am I. What does that denote? Now, Isaiah uses that language in Isaiah chapter number 6, but it's followed by a statement. You remember, the Lord says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. But here, all that Samuel says is, here am I. Here's what's implied by it. I don't need anything, but if you need something, I'm right here. It implies the notion, not of offering oneself up in service even, Certainly not in desiring a fellowship, but it is simply almost a curt, and I'm sure Samuel didn't mean it this way, but but it's almost a curt response. Here I am. What does that mean? Are you really saying anything to God when that's your answer? Notice the correct answer. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Why would a servant answer that way? What is being implied there? Well, Lord, I'm a servant. So I need to know what your wishes are. Lord, I'm a servant, so I need to know what my responsibility is. Lord, I'm a servant, so I need guidance. I'm a servant, so I need instruction. I'm a servant, so I need a task. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Now, you might say, well, preacher, you're splitting hairs. God responded to the one, and he didn't respond to the other. What was the difference here? The right response is one that denotes and appreciates and embraces the fact that we need his voice far more than he needs our ears. Until we realize this, as long as we think we're doing God a favor by listening to him, we're not going to hear the voice of God. Only when we recognize that it's a blessing, a boon, and a grace of God for him to speak to us. Remember how this whole thing begins. It says the word of the Lord was precious. It was precious. I wonder if the word of the Lord is precious to us. I know that it is indeed precious, but I wonder if it's precious to us. There are a great many things in this world that hold deep abiding value. The only problem is this world doesn't value it. And then there are all sorts of things that this world values that have absolutely no currency and no weight with God. Said, preacher, why why did God speak this last time? Well, he gave the right response, and the right response was, Lord... I'm your servant, and I need to hear your word. It's not just I desire it. It's not just that it'd be a good thing if it happened. But I'm in need of hearing your voice. And until you need to hear his voice, it's part of the reason. Think back to your life. The times when God spoke most clearly to you were times when you needed him. Right? Can I ask you this question? When don't you need him? So when wouldn't he speak to you? if you only appreciated and apprehended your great need of him on a daily basis. We could all give testimonies where we'd say, well, preacher, there's this time my, my kid was sick, we was in the hospital, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I prayed, I said, God, I need you. And he spoke to my heart and comforted me. Times, preacher, you, uh, the, my, my, you know, we, my wife was sick, and I prayed, and I asked God to intervene, and, and boy, I just I, I told him how much I needed him, and he spoke to me. 
truth is, you need him as much on your best day as you do on your worst day. And if he spoke when you needed him then, don't you think he'd speak when you need him now? The only difference is whether or not you realize how desperately you need him. I see the right response. Here's what I think. I think God wants to speak. I think we have to be willing to hear him speak. And I think we have to want him to speak. But if we do, I have every scriptural authority to be able to say, God's still speaking to his people. I hope we'll listen in our hearts tonight. Father, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. I pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in it. And I pray that your people would grow serious about their walk with you, their relationship with you, their desperate need to hear from you, Lord, and that we would surrender ourselves more unto you tonight. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name with our heads.